Los Angeles has never been a city with really clear centers. And I think artists like that. I think it allows them to find niches and places to work that are part of the city and still kind of feel off the grid because they're not on one main path. This episode, we invited our senior editor based in Los Angeles, Alika Walkelmino, to walk us through some of the interesting things she's discovered in LA since she moved there last year. I have Elisa Wakalmino, the Hyperallergics full-time editor in Los Angeles, and Elisa's here in New York today. Hey, Elisa. Hey, Harag. So you've been spearheading our big move into Los Angeles and sort of orchestrating our coverage, preparing our newsletter, making sure things are covered in a timely fashion, you know, and wanted people to get to know you a little bit. And this podcast is giving us a little bit of an opportunity to sort of have our voices come out independent of some of the stories we're reporting on. So how's it been? It's been great. I love LA. I've been there now for almost a year after 10 years in New York. And, you know, years. I know. Yeah. Long time. You know, the New York versus L.A. thing can get a little boring and tedious, you know, and predictable. Yeah. You know, New Yorkers. Especially since New York's better. Well, I was, I, I was about to say, especially since New Yorkers love to hate on L.A. Though, to be fair, I do love L.A. too. I just like love New York more. Fair enough. Fair enough. There's been a huge influx of people from New York moving yeah. to L.A. Mm-hmm. So so that's... Um, so can you feel that? I mean, because, you know, we talk about this, and I think this does go in waves. So it's not it's not like, you know, it's be all and end all. But have you been sensing that? Have you been noticing people moving in, friends of yours, your cohort? Because, you know, I think often, especially post-college, people's friends start sort of shifting around the world. Like some of my friends went to London, some of my friends went, yeah, you know. Sure, yeah. I definitely know people from New York who have moved there. But mostly the people I know in L.A. have been mentioning it to me. When I say I moved from New York, they'll be like, oh, another one. Ah, Um, So, yeah, that's definitely a thing. And where have you ended up landing in Los Angeles for those people who may be interested in sort of where you are in the city? So I live in Los Feliz. That's how how they say it there. You know, whenever I say Los Feliz, I get corrected. (laughs) On the border of Hollywood, and uh, my street has a really lovely view of the Griffith Observatory. Um, So yeah, I kind of love all the visual LA cliches. You know, I love living by palm trees and (laughs) under the sunshine and seeing the Hollywood sign as I drive by. That's right. All those things. So let's see, what other cliches can we throw? So are you eating at taco trucks all day? Every day? Is that what you're doing? I definitely have my taco (laughs) trucks. But you know, I think LA more than other cities has to try harder to battle its cliches. You know, people have so many cliches about it. And you see that even in the artist's work too. You know, Mm. people are, are thinking about how to sort of change the way we think about and see LA and that's sort of interesting. It was interesting the piece you edited from Catherine Wegley about LA Freeze actually deals with a little bit of that exactly. How would you summarize her argument? Yeah, I mean she talks about how and this is something I've heard from more pe- multiple people that the LA art scene is interesting because the city is so sprawling mm-hmm. that the the art scene isn't as homogenous or concentrated. So you get a lot of different pockets right. throughout the city, and it's also very multicultural. Um, so she talks about how 
the LA, the first edition of the LA Freeze was selling this image of LA that was a fantasy, right? That's that's her her phrasing of it, and it sold an image that wasn't true to the LA image, right? It's very kind of homogenous and easy right. to sum up. And right. And very luxurious. Very luxurious. And very, yeah. All these, right. that's where the cliche comes in, right? Mm-hmm. You know, it's sort of like LA is still, you know, more than 50% Hispanic and all these types of things. So how's your Spanish going? <laughs> well, you know, I speak Portuguese, so I try, like most Brazilians, I pretend that I speak Spanish. Um, so yeah, I should uh, actually take some Spanish lessons, okay. I think. That'll be, on, that'll be on the agenda, I'm sure. So now, what are some some of the pleasant surprises about the Los Angeles art scene and what you've come to see because you've been there now a year almost. Yeah, I mean, I'm definitely a newbie. There's still so much to discover, and a lot of the time, I see, I see the art scene through art writers, right? right. Like I see, I see it through their lens. But I've discovered some really great spaces mm-hmm. that feel maybe unique to LA. Like among them, the Underground Museum is a very beloved space right. in LA, and the Women's Center for Creative Work right. in Frogtown, which yeah, does which does amazing work. Amazing work. It's a great space for artists mm-hmm. to, you know, they do a lot of open critiques where people can come and yeah. look at artwork. And and it, a lot of spaces are going to Frogtown, it feels like, at least. Or there's some energy there that wasn't there before. That's right. And that's true of a, of a lot of neighborhoods. That's right. Way, for better or worse, right? Exactly. So why don't you, yeah, why don't you talk a little bit about some of the writers and what they've been working on and stuff and some of the art writers you've been called Sure. Matt Stromberg has obviously written for us for years, and it's been really great to have him contributing regularly on the site. And Abe on as well. Right. He's done a lot of really great in-depth reporting for us. Oh, yeah. The um, piece in Pasadena, the Cal- Women Artists of California, was really popular. People really love those images. And, I mean, I'd never seen most of those works. That's right. It's a lot of unknown quantities, right? I mean, that were, oh, some of them amazing. were well-known during their time. But, you know, it's an enormous number of artists, hundreds of artists from California. And the exhibition was in two parts, actually, because there were so many works that they had to do it in two parts. Tell us a little bit about some of the other writers and the things you've been discovering in terms of the art spaces. Are museums, I guess the stereotype is that museums and art schools are what leads conversation in California, and particularly Los Angeles. Mm -hmm. Have you been finding that at all? I mean, there's definitely the legacy of CalArts, which is still really big. You know, in New York, we talk about like, you know, the Yale, Chelsea, you know, whereas in... Pipeline, right? Pipeline, right. In LA, CalArts is definitely, you know, has a really big presence, but it's a little quirkier and and I think and there is a growing gallery scene for sure so that's taking maybe some of the attention away from just the museum scene Mm -hmm. a lot of galleries you know obviously moving into Boyle Heights which is its whole thing yeah Boyle Heights so what's that been like because you know we've been reporting on Boyle Heights for years now I'd love to get a sense of someone who's a little closer because I don't get to go to Boyle Heights often only whenever I travel there I'm curious does that feel like because a gallery closed last year has the energy like in terms of the arts community have you been hearing anything it's been a little quiet lately it's been less prominent but galleries are moving into other neighborhoods too you know, so I think that the attention is starting to shift throughout right. the the city, even spaces like Little Tokyo and Chinatown as right. well. Now you're going to talk to some of the LA writers, and we'll let you do that thing. For today's podcast. 
I sat down with some of our contributors and asked them to share with us their versions of L.A. First, I spoke with the L.A. art critic and reporter Catherine G. Wagley. L.A. has increasingly been getting more attention for being an art hub. There seems to be more coverage on L.A. art shows and big-name publications. A greater number of galleries are opening. Museums are getting bigger. And you critically discussed some of these changes in your first op-ed for Hyperallergic, which you wrote after the first L.A. Freeze Art Fair edition opened back in February. As someone who has been covering the arts in L.A. for many years now, what do you make of this new attention that L.A. and its artists are receiving? Well, I think for me, what frustrated me, what made me want to write about the boosterism surrounding the first freeze, which was very much advertised as being about an L.A. fair, about L.A., and the excitingness of L.A. being this art center and how L.A. artists were so exciting and and you had a lot of galleries, even not from L.A., coming to L.A. to showcase L.A. artists. And Bettina Korik, who was the director of Freeze in Los Angeles, said that she hoped the energy from the Paramount lot, which is where the Freeze Art Fair was going to be, would emanate out into the city as if the city needed that, like needed Freeze to validate its art scene. And I, and I think that's been an issue for me over the last few years as I've watched some major international galleries open in Los Angeles and a few more private museums open, is that a lot of the buzz and the hype seems to be about advertising LA to the international art world or advertising Los Angeles to its own art world. And it doesn't actually seem to represent the thriving art scenes that have been here for a really long time. You also talk a little bit about how freeze is kind of the first sign of like an art market interest sort of expanding in a sense like before there wasn't really a huge art market or a huge collecting culture in LA and you talked a little bit about how maybe the sprawl of the city has something to do with that or maybe the multicultural character of the city and how it's kind of resisted this easy commodification maybe could you elaborate a little bit on that yeah I think that's something that's always been a concern and complaint about the art scene in Los Angeles is that we don't have an old school collecting culture. There are collectors here, there are great collectors here, but the culture of collecting and the culture of um, collectors supporting commercial galleries has never really developed. And it still, it still hasn't developed in the way it has in other major art centers around the world. And I think that part of the reason, my theory, and I've written about this before, is that part of the reason so many galleries started opening here in the last five years since 2013 really, is that they no longer needed to have a collector base here in order to thrive. They could sell at international arts, art fairs, they could sell work by artists that were already established just by sending collectors JPEGs. They didn't need to have um, foot traffic from buyers to thrive, but space was still available and affordable, like big galleries like Macaron, or like Hauser and Worst Crazy Complex. And that wasn't going to be true for much longer. Around 2015, prices had already skyrocketed. So I think that that was a motivation to get these big, beautiful spaces where you could show artists and photograph artists and be part of the artist scene in Los Angeles, which was part of it too. It was like galleries wanted to have a place here so that they could manage their artists that were here because so many artists lived here and so many more were coming. 
To go back to the Freeze Art Fair, what was so comical about it was that it was set in the Paramount Picture Studios and a whole section of it is this, you know, fake New York. And part of the fair was installed there and, you know, it gave off this impression of an L.A. wannabe New York. Do you get that impression at all from the L.A. art scene? Like, is it trying to emanate New York in some way? What did you think of that? Well, I thought it was hilarious that some of the verbiage around the fair and around the back lot was suggesting that the way Freeze was organized with this city at its center and art all over this fake city could be an example for Los Angeles or like an example of how Los Angeles could function with art at its center. I think Bettina Cork said something along those lines at the press preview. And um, yeah, I think that's a fantasy that isn't the fantasy that draws artists to work here and leads artists to want to be here. But it is a fantasy that keeps getting promulgated, like like that, oh, if LA could have an art center or could be more centered, then it would start to thrive in the way New York's art world thrives or London's art world thrives or like these more conventional cities. Whereas Los Angeles has never been a city with really clear centers. And I think artists like that. I think it allows them to find niches and places to work that are part of the city and still kind of feel off the grid because they're not on one main path. But, you know, when Eli Broad was building his Broad Museum, and even before that, when he was involved in the Mocha Board, he kept trying to make Bunker Hill, Grand Grand Avenue, the, the center of downtown, and like and talked about maybe the city being more like Paris. And I think that, yeah, there's a, there's a tendency again and again for people in power or people who are, I don't know, more interested in the market and big buildings to try to make LA more, or try to make the narrative LA more about a center, a cultural center. So I wanted to transition to your most recent piece for Hyperallergic, thinking about, you know, where a lot of artists in LA go to school, CalArts. So your most recent piece for Hyperallergic was about how students at CalArts, the California Institute of the Arts and alumni at Cooper Union in New York are collaborating to fight tuition hikes and to fight for more financially transparent policies at art schools. So to give some context for our readers, as Renee Reisman reported for Hyperallergic, back in March, CalArts announced they would be increasing tuition from around 48K to around 50K, which sparked student protests. And as many might already know, Cooper Union, which was a historically free institution, began charging tuition back in 2014. So in your piece, Catherine, you talk about how students across both coasts have a similar complaint, which is a lack of financial transparency from their schools. Can you talk a little bit about how students have been organizing and um, shaping a larger conversation around art schools and what they should be providing for their students? Yeah, I mean, this story came out of a meeting that you actually told me about where um, two Cooper alums who had been involved in the Free Cooper Union movement to protest Cooper Union's decision to charge tuition about five years ago came to CalArts. And they came to CalArts because two CalArts students, Aaliyah and Andrew, who were helping to run or organize the hashtag CalArts without movement in protest of the tuition hikes, had been in New York and had met with them there. And um, then they invited these two students, Victoria and Jake, to come out and talk to CalArts students. And Victoria and Jake, ever since they graduated, they've been part of a group of students who have continued to work, not around necessarily protesting the tuition at Cooper Union, but educating other institutions about how their institutions work 
and how they were founded and how the money is actually used and collected and why tuition is so high and what that means. And so they kind of just talked to, they talked to CalArts students, a small group of CalArts students. This was a student organized event on a Wednesday near the end of term. They talked about what they had done and the research they had done and the way they understood their school's charter and the reasons they were frustrated by the way they were charging tuition and also help CalArts students kind of think about the structure of their own school, which has a very different history. So when I was talking to Aliyah and Andrew, who were the grad students at CalArts, who were organizing these protests and, and had invited the Free Cooper Union alums over, they were saying that part of what they learned from, this, from these conversations was that what they'd actually started was a very long-term project, and it was probably something that was going to follow them out of, out of grad school. And into the rest of their lives, while they're still going to be engaging with arts institutions and thinking about the financial structures behind them. And that's kind of what Victoria and Jake were saying, too, is that this had become part of their work as artists, and it still felt relevant to them, even if the, the effects aren't super clear. Like, mm -hmm. Cooper Union is still charging and will, at least through the end of the decade, CalArts probably is not going to halt its tuition hike. But these conversations are affecting the way artists are able to work. So to end, I'd love to maybe end on a more positive note, hopefully. But I'm curious, why LA? Why, after all these years, you've continued to be drawn to writing about the arts, specifically in this city? What draws you to that? Well, I, I moved here about 13 years ago, 12 years ago, to get an MFA in studio art. And I started writing because I'd done it before. I'd, I'd had some copywriting gigs and I'd written for college papers and I thought that maybe I could make some money. But then really quickly I started writing art reviews and it was a way for me to, to get to know the city when I was very new to it. But it changed so much in the time I've been here and I've come to really love it, but I've also come to know it really well. And I think the more I write, the more I'm interested in how local politics and local geography affect an art scene and also these ways in which art has been entwined in those conversations like hyperallergic very much very heavily covered the Boyle Heights protests where protesters were ask, asking the galleries to leave because they saw the galleries as instruments of gentrification and I think those conversations are so interesting and they're conversations that I feel so much more equipped to write about here than anywhere else because I actually have gotten to know the city so well you know, and I think this is still true, but it was very true for me when I first started working here, is that partly because of the sprawl and partly because at that point the art scene was smaller than it is now, if you just kept showing up, you kind of got invited in. Like, it, it didn't, it wasn't so classist as much as it was, like, and certainly there's elitism. Like, there are elitism and hierarchies in the Los Angeles art scene, like there are in all the other ones, but... I did feel like if you just were willing to drive to the west side and the east side and figure out how to get to these various shows and that pretty soon you would start to know the community pretty well. Well, thank you for coming in and talking to us. Next up, I talk with two hyperallergic contributors, Matt Stromberg and Abe Ahn, who have both written several great reviews, news reports, and more for the site. Great to be in a room with both of you as you have both been contributing to the site for five years now, at least. Yeah. So for our first LA podcast, I thought it would be fun to have you both share some of your favorite art outings and spaces in Los Angeles. And to start off, I thought I'd ask you, what is your absolute 
favorite place to see art in Los Angeles, if you can distill it to one place? This is Matt. Hello, world. Uh, no, I can't pick one place. How could you ask us to do that, Elisa? That's impossible. <laughs> the first place that came to mind was Hauser & Wirth, the international mega gallery that opened their downtown LA space a year or two ago. And I just think they've done a really good job making a really comprehensive, inviting community space. They have several galleries, they have a restaurant, they have a bookstore, they have a great garden, they have chickens, and it's free. So, you know, say what you want about the uh, issues surrounding gentrification that a multi-million dollar space like that brings with it, but they've done a great job. A museum class exhibitions, and I always recommend it for people who come to town. I would also say the Underground Museum is another one of my favorite spaces, kind of West Adams-y, West Adams-ish, founded by Noah Davis and Karan Davis. Noah Davis, the painter who passed away a few years ago, but they had really no, not many resources, and they partnered with MoCA to make a kind of community-oriented space that also puts on world-class exhibitions, museum-quality exhibitions, drawing on the MoCA's collection and bringing it to kind of an underserved community for exhibitions like that. Well, this is Abe speaking. One of my favorite places to see art, and this is, as far as museums go, I really like the Vincent Price Art Museum. It's a good size. I find places like LACMA and Getty sometimes overwhelming and exhausting. And so I feel like when I go to Vincent Price, I can see everything and feel like I've gotten to experience a lot and see a lot. And then it's a combination of world-class you know, art, pre-Columbian art from, from Mexico, and also contemporary art, including works by students from um, East LA College where the museum is based. And so I find that every time I visit, the students are always very friendly and very informative, and it is a space that is inviting and comprehensive, which I like. It's hard to pick one space, but as far as commercial galleries go, sometimes I like to do my rounds or just walk around the area around Hollywood between La Brea and Highland. So I might start somewhere like very small fires off of, I think that's on Highland? Yeah. And then, you know, make my way down to, you know, Nanaka Hill, which is a commercial gallery, and then walk west and head over to Shulamit Nazarian, and then make my way up to Jeff Jeffrey Deitch. And I like it because I get to kind of see the changes in the neighborhood. There's a lot of development going on there for better or worse. And so um, it's a rare occasion for me to get out of my car or, you know, not have to take a bus or, you know, subway to go see art. So, Abe, I like that you gave an answer that sort of defies this idea that you have to drive everywhere. It's nice that you, it seems that you walk between spaces sometimes when you go see art. Yeah, so that's great. Is there a space that you think is very unique to LA or a uniquely LA art space? There's a number of spaces that I've been to throughout LA that have come and gone. One, I, I used to live in the Miracle Mile district and on my street, Cloverdale, there used to be a art space run by the artist Fiona Connor. Um, it was literally next door to my building called Laurel Duty and it was a second floor apartment one bedroom and they used to do exhibitions there um, sometimes film screening so we'd pack in you know what felt like 30 or 40 people in a single bedroom there's a lot of funny spaces like that there used to be a space in pico union near kind of near macarthur park called selecto planta baja um, which isn't like a commercial underground space 
you know, mostly Latinx vendors, businesses, but they had a little booth set up for contemporary art exhibitions. And that came and went, I think, within a few years. But there's a lot of spaces like that. Another one that comes to mind is Equitable Vitrines in Koreatown, which is in the lobby of a, of a business commercial building in the middle of K-Town. Sometimes you don't really expect to see art in spaces in LA, and you, know, you might just run into one. Yeah, I think you make a good point about these spaces that, you know, there's a lot of like liminal spaces in LA, I feel like, or transitory spaces, courtyards, parking lots, you know, places that are up the stairs and behind the door. So with that in mind, the first place that came to mind is a five car garage, which is a gallery in a five car garage in Santa Monica in the owners behind her house. And that's, you know, it's stereotypically LA. And then a new space that just opened called Desert Center LA, which is, I believe it's in Hollywood or West Hollywood, also in kind of a business, it's not really a strip mall, but it's like a business park or business center. It's like even behind a gate, so it's even like harder to get to than a lot of the places that are in regular strip malls. But yeah, those two kind of jump out at me as pretty quintessentially LA. Do you have a favorite artwork in a museum collection that you find yourself returning to or that you especially love? I don't know if it's cliche or not. I think probably anyone who's been to a, a museum in LA has walked by it, but it's the huge Tony Smith sculpture in LACMA. Uh, it's a huge, you know, classic Tony Smith, black geometric form kind of takes up the entire interior of this, one of the buildings on LACMA's campus. I always wonder, like, it seems like they built a building around it. It so fits in the space so perfectly. I love that you can walk under it, you walk up the stairs, you walk next to it, and then you're on the kind of mezzanine level and you can, you're kind of like eye level with it, I guess. So you're, you're looking at the top of it. On the topic of outdoor art, but moving away from museums, are there any public artworks in LA that you think we should know about? Uh, one of the, I think, worthwhile places to go see public art is at the AC Bilbrew Library in the unincorporated community of Willowbrook, which is in South LA near Watts and Compton. Um, it's a public county library uh, that has, I think, 50 paintings and sculptures from the Golden State Mutual Life Insurance Collection. The Golden State Mutual Life was a formerly a life insurance company that had one of the largest African-American art collections in the West Coast. And unfortunately, uh, when they went out of business, I think in 2009, all of the artworks were supposed to be sold to private collectors. But the county came in and acquired, you know, hundreds of most a good portion of the collection, and so now 50 of those are permanently installed at the AC Bilbrew Library, including works by you know artists like Charles White and John Biggers. So it's artworks that could have ended up in the private homes is not now accessible to the public and it's permanently installed there. I think the other location is not too far from there at the Willowbrook Senior Center, but it's an important part of um, LA art history and a lot of art that you might not see at some of the major museums. My public art recommendation would be Forest Lawn Cemetery. Both Forest Lawn and Hollywood Forever, kind of the two big LA cemeteries, have like public art components. There's a Masonic Lodge at Hollywood Forever that's doing does shows and exhibitions. And Forest Lawn has kind of a weird few like stained glass mosaics. They have a Last Supper that's huge and a Resurrection, I believe that are both like really tacky and really awesome in addition to just the grounds, which are pretty incredible. But yeah, it's kind of like this weird hidden gem up in the cemetery there. 
So since summer is coming up, I thought it would be fun if you had any recommendations for any either off the beaten track spaces to go check out or any places that are a short drive away or that are less obvious destinations, either in the greater LA area or nearby. If you go to Joshua Tree, there's the Joshua Tree Outdoor Museum, which is the big installation of a lot of Noah Purfoy's artworks. It's free. You can just park your car and walk onto the grounds and you know, you can spend a good couple hours just, just exploring this one artist, but a huge body of work. But in the summertime, it's probably not the best time to go. But maybe for LA folks, I don't know, places like the Torrance Art Museum in the South Bay, Museum of Latin American Art in Long Beach. If you venture out a little bit, you know, outside of central LA, those are some places that folks may not necessarily be taking the time to visit. For for an off-the-beaten-track arts summer arts destination, I would uh, recommend Huntington Gardens. They're botanical gardens that are beautiful on their own, but they've, I think a couple years ago, they started a contemporary arts program or initiative, contemporary artists to kind of intervene and, and put on their own installations. And Carolina Caicedo, Mario Ibarra, um, a lot of, uh, or some other contemporary artists have done stuff there. So it's a really exciting mixture and it's beautiful and it's a good excuse to get out there. So finally, what's a good art show that's currently up that we should all go see? Yeah, I would recommend people to go see the David Hammonds show at Hauser and Worth. It's a, basically a career retrospective, so we get to see his works from the 70s and up until now. He's, he has a very particular sense of humor throughout his work and see that manifested in the courtyard of, of the art space. There's a, currently a, a tent encampment that's set up to resemble Skid Row. So it's a very provocative gesture in, in an area of downtown, the arts district that is advanced stages of gentrification. Hammonds also is an LA artist, or formerly an LA artist, so it's a homecoming of sorts for him. So it's a good time to see his work. The encampments have gotten some mixed reactions and reviews. I'm curious what it was like to see that in such a, you know, a blue chip gallery and have that kind of installation there and what the interaction was with the with the installation. How were visitors kind of responding? What was your sense there? There is work that seems to be targeted towards the kind of audience that would go to Hauser and Worth, right? So making or or I guess the aim would be to, to have them question their complicitness in the system that ends up with so many people on the streets. And my my fear would be that people would see that and, you know, be moved for a moment and then say, oh, I, you know, I've done my I've done my penance for the day and, and not go beyond that. You know, I, I don't know what to do with that. I don't know. You know, Hammond, Hammond's obviously isn't responsible for how people take his work. But, you know, I, I, I immediately thought of that boat in the Venice Biennale that was the migrant boat that capsized and everybody died. And, you know, that was seen as a very cynical kind of facile gesture that, you know, is pretty provocative. And that's where it ended. That's my fear with those works of Hammond's, especially at this blue chip gallery. I don't know how much, how further it goes beyond that. I, overall, I thought it was a pretty exciting show just from the mix of works. But that, that one installation that took up so much real estate and was so foregrounded, I don't know. I, it didn't have the same punch that I thought it could have maybe. But a show that I liked, I'm going to recommend, I'm probably going to butcher this name, but it's Me, Me Kafchin, My Kafchin, a show called Chemtrails at Nicodem, a young Romanian artist. It's weird. I mean, Nicodem always has weird shows. This is really weird. Conspiracy theories. There's a Pepe the Frog painting. 
you know, tinfoil hat, real out there stuff, but it's engaging and overall it's a fun show. For those of you interested, Hyperallergic sends out a weekly Los Angeles newsletter, which compiles our West Coast coverage from exhibition reviews to news and events. You can sign up at hyperallergic.com slash newsletters. Great, Elisa. So I guess people will have to tune in to see what else is new in Los Angeles in the coming months. Yeah, stay tuned. There is a lot to write about in LA. Great. Thanks. A special thanks to April and Vista for providing the music to this week's episode. For those of you in LA, you can catch one of April and Vista's shows at The Echo this June 13th. Thanks to Elisa Walkelmino for giving us a little bit of flavor from the Los Angeles art scene. Thanks for listening to Art Movements. See you next week. No time to